chapter 2 of Galatians, beginning in verse 15 through verse 21. And the Word of God says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if the righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Father, we praise you yet again for the truth from your word, that Christ, he lives He died, and He lives again. And Lord, He lives forevermore, and so will we in Him. Lord, I pray that this, Your Word, would be sunk deeply into our hearts and minds and souls, God, that we would be changed, that You would be glorified, that we would be saved, and that we would have hope forever, even today. We praise You for Jesus in His name. Well, we are studying these verses, and we're studying Galatians, and and we've been moving through Galatians, but we've really kind of slowed down here in these verses, haven't we? We've just kind of come to a grinding, uh, slow work through these verses. This is uh, part three now (laughs) in the same paragraph, the same section, and... um, We won't make it all the way through this week either. <laughs> so we'll have at least one other, one other part uh, to, the, to this series of messages. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't intend for that to happen. When, we, when, you started, when I started studying these verses and started reading through this, I thought, okay, we're going to do this in one week, maybe, maybe two, but here we are in three, and uh, probably at least a, a fourth week. And we could probably do that with every paragraph of Scripture, right? Scripture is so deep. It's so, um, <clears throat> so rich. And so much truth is packed into the truth of God. Um, so we're, we're endeavoring not to lose the big picture point made by God through the human author in this by, by diving into the weeds, but, but sometimes there is just so much, so much in here that we've got to just take some time and just make sure that we don't breeze past or move quickly, too quickly through a passage. We've got to dig in. So... As a reminder, the main point here is that we're preserving the truth of the gospel. Not only has Paul said that phrase, the preserving or, or the truth of the gospel, it's been his focus since he opened the letter. Uh, the gospel that came directly from Jesus to Paul was faithfully delivered to the Galatian churches, and it was being challenged, but not from the world. Now, the world, of course, does challenge the gospel. The world will always challenge the gospel and Christians who are believing and living out the gospel. But the challenges were coming from within the group of people who believed in the gospel or who said that they believed in the gospel. And so Paul laid out the case, the apologetic for why they and we need to believe this truth, only this truth, this gospel. We need to hear it, we need to understand it, and we need to believe on it or act on it. And we called that, all of that together, hearing, knowing, believing, 
acting on it. We call that faith. But not a one-time experience where we say, I believe, and then sign a card, or get dunked in a tub of water, and then move on from there. Nothing ever changes. It's all the same as it was. Faith is a, is, is a point in time where we begin to hear and understand and believe and, and live that out, but then it continues on. We continue knowing, hearing and knowing and learning and believing and acting on what we know and what we believe. We, we separate too easily. That one-time conversion experience and then the rest of the Christian life. We, we sort of put in a, a dichotomy there where, well, you're starting out and, well, one of these days we'll start moving along in our faith and, and that's something that's foreign to the Scriptures. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the good news truth that He brings to us is not a one-time experience followed by nothing, just a life of doing whatever we want to do. Faith is... As you remember in Paul's life, what brings a lasting change, the the gospel of Jesus Christ, when it comes to us, produces a change. Now, we're not saying that everybody becomes perfect in this life. We're not saying everybody immediately becomes perfect or any of that, but there is an immediate change and a lasting process of change. So as we study these verses, we continue studying, we'll see that. But just as a reminder for where we are in the big picture of this passage, we learned a couple of weeks ago, number one, that although everyone is sinful, anyone can be justified but only through faith in Jesus Christ. In verses 15 and 16, we learned that. We studied that, and there were three important words in that statement, words sinful, mankind is in a state of sinfulness. We are sinful. We've chosen sin. We choose to continue to sin on our own. That's what mankind is. None of us is righteous before God. We're all rebels. And not just to God's will, but to God himself. That's what human beings became at the fall into sin and what we continue to do on our own. But to be justified means to be declared righteous. Although we're guilty, we can be told, we can be declared, it can be proclaimed for all to hear and to know that we're not just not guilty, we're not just innocent, we're totally righteous by the righteousness of of God the righteousness that comes from Jesus. Jesus came and lived the perfect righteous life. It can be accounted, accounted to us. We can be declared righteous because of Jesus' righteousness being given to us when he takes our sin and pays the penalty for that on the cross. But that only comes through faith. And as we said, we, we looked at numerous scriptures showing us that faith is hearing the truth and knowing it, understanding it, believing the truth, and then acting on it. The fervent action in the hearing. Now, that's what we've seen. But it's tempting for us, brothers and sisters. It's very tempting that we can grasp all of that in our heads, in our minds, and be really satisfied with that because it makes sense. It all fits together. I mean, and it seems to just to go together and to make sense, and that can be satisfying to our brain, our intellect, in our minds. But if it doesn't affect our heart, we've not only not accomplished what we should, we've actually placed ourselves in more danger than if we didn't know it all. You say, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, the Bible teaches. Jesus taught us. He, as he was going all over in his ministry, he went all over Israel and even sometimes outside of Israel, teaching, preaching, and doing miracles. He wasn't doing all that just so he could get famous, like his natural half-brothers accused him of. He was teaching and preaching the truth. And the miracles were validating the message that he was bringing. And there were people that saw and heard everything Jesus said and did And the proper response for them was to have faith. 
That's why he didn't just do miracles. He taught. He preached. They heard. They understood. They were on that path to faith. They heard it. They understood it. They grasped it. But then most of them rejected it. Rather than believing, and and Jesus said to them in no uncertain terms, to entire towns that had rejected him. In Luke 10, verse 13, he said, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe is deep distress. It's anguish. It's sorrow to you because of judgment coming. Why? He said to them, because if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. He said to those whole cities, and you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. See, it's worse for us to hear the truth and to understand the truth and know it and be able to say, yes, this is the gospel, but not believe it. Not believe it ourselves. Notice that Jesus said to them with the information they had, the truth about Jesus, they should have repented. Now, we're saying they should have believed. What's the difference here? Well, they're two sides of the same coin. They're they're not the same thing, but they're essentially connected. Because when you turn to Jesus in faith, after you've heard and you've understood, so you know the truth, the next part is believe, right? That's the decision point within yourself. Am I going to believe this? Am I going to grasp onto it from the depths of my being? Am I going to believe Jesus is my only hope for salvation and embrace this so that I act on that? Or am I going to reject it for something else? That's a decision that we all have to make in our own hearts and minds. And by the way, that's a very real process that Jesus taught. He said, you've got to count the cost in Luke 14. You know, I mean, if you're going to build something, you're going to make sure you have enough money to finish the building. If you're going to go to war against another army, you're going to make sure you have enough people and enough supplies to defeat that army. He says, you've got to count the cost because Jesus says, when you're coming to me, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to renounce all that you have to become his disciple or willing to. And he says, that's a, it's a very reasonable and real process that we've got to take a time at the beginning when we hear the truth. And, and as we continue to hear the truth, and are we going to believe it? Because to believe it means to turn away from everything else and turn to him. The turning away is called repentance. We, if we're going to turn to Jesus, we're necessarily turning away from something else, right? And so we turn away from sin and sinfulness. We turn away from, we repent of idolatry, dependence on self, as we talked about earlier this morning with Pastor Kyle. We repent of our reliance on false gospels, and we singularly believe in Jesus Christ. So faith and repentance go hand in hand. You really don't have one without the other. That's what, that's what I mean by the, the two sides of the same coin. When you truly believe, you turn to faith in Jesus and away from everything else. When you really repent, turn away from everything else, there's no other place to turn but to Jesus, his gospel, his truth in faith. Now, how did we get all, all here? I mean, why, why are we talking about all this? Because it just, just the, the, the encouragement, don't let this only sink into your mind and into your thoughts. Do let it think into your thoughts, but down farther into your heart, into your soul, into what makes you tick, what makes you live, what makes you say what you say and do what you do. Hear, understand, believe, and act on it. That's faith. That's how we can be declared righteous because we can't do it on our own. So that's the first thing we needed to see here, verses 15 to 21, justified. We can be, even though we're sinful, we can be justified by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. 
But remember those four arguments that we've been talking about, the, the, the ways that people had been drawing Christians away from that true gospel. They said, you're mixing God's chosen people with sinners in verses 15 and 16. We talked about that. This next argument is, you're making Christ a servant or promoter of sin. That's the next argument. That's what Paul addresses here in verses 17 and 18. Now, we understand that um, we are all, all who follow Jesus, all who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, who, who hear and believe and, and act on what Jesus has said. We are all God's chosen people now. We're not separated into God's chosen people, Israel, versus God's not chosen people, Gentiles. That's not a separation or distinction between God's people. All of us belong to the Lord. We've been purchased by Jesus. But when we've begun the Christian life through faith, by God's grace, how does this continue? Does our life continue by works? Does, is that what all the, the Christian life becomes all about? Just works. I've got to do more. I've got to do more. I've got to do more good deeds. Is that what it becomes all about? Well, that's what we're going to see in verses 17 to 21, and it's number two in our notes. The justified Christian life, now that we're justified, this life does not continue by works. It continues only through faith in Jesus Christ. Our salvation happens to us through faith, and the Christian life that is justified before God continues, but only through faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to be transitioning here from the the gospel coming and the beginnings of someone's life in that gospel into the life lived within and underneath and because of the gospel, because all of it requires faith. So the first thing that Paul addresses here in verse 17 is that second argument. You're you're making Jesus a promoter or servant of sin. Now, again, this could be one of the ways the Jewish Christians were were being convinced to back away from the gospel, or it was just a logical inference that Paul comes up with based on their arguments. But either way, it raises the question, and he answers it here. And what he answers, the, 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 the gist of what he's saying here in verses 17 and 18 is, A, in our notes, that Jesus reveals the truth of sin. That Jesus is revealing the truth of sin. He says, if in our endeavor to be justified, again, how were they doing that? They were in Christ. If in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? The thought here is that everywhere Jesus goes, every time we bring Jesus up, there's sin, and there's more sin than there was before. I mean, he just brings it with him everywhere he goes, and and it just talked about sin all the time. And see, what could be happening in the minds of the the people here is the confusion between correlation and causation. We can make the same error in our thinking. For example, did you know that 100% of people who drink water eventually die? (laughs) The teenagers are out there like, see, I should have more soda. (laughs) We, we can make a, we see the correlation there. Everybody that drinks water <laughs> eventually dies, but the causation is not there. It's not because they drank water that led them to eventually die. It's erone, erroneous thinking. It's a logical fallacy. And the early Jewish Christians may have been falling into a form or of that error in their thinking. Now, by the way, I said Jewish Christians, and I'm saying that to make sure that we understand where this error was coming from, where this argument was coming from, but there's no such thing as a different kind of Christian, a Jewish Christian, a Gentile Christian, a white Christian, a black Christian, an American. There are Christians. 
So we're all God's people. Again, I just want to make sure that we're clear about that. But I'm saying Jewish Christians, these early Jewish Christians, because they were trying to bring back that Jewishness and those works of the law into the faith. So they may have seen that correlation and, and assumed causation, and here's how. They were all brought up believing, believing that as God's chosen people, they were good. They were already good people, at least better than most of the other people in the world. They had the law of God. They were following it very well in their minds. But they recognized they still had a little bit of sin. They, they were still endeavoring, earnestly searching for justification. And they said, okay, if we can get that in Christ, we know we're not perfect. Let's endeavor. Let's, let's try really hard to be justified in Christ. And so they heard that Jesus brings forgiveness. And so they decided to let's embrace Jesus. But as soon as you do, what he brings to us is the holiness of God so that we begin to see that we're a whole lot further away from forgiveness than we thought we were. When Jesus comes in, we're all of a sudden a whole lot worse sinners than we ever believed that we were before. You know, like sinners, like all those bad people out there that are far away from salvation. You know, that's the correlation. I mean, we're all becoming sin. And the causation must be that, well, Jesus brought it in. He, he's the one that's serving up sin everywhere he goes. You know, all we were trying to do is just be, you know, better. We were obeying the law and we were doing pretty well. We just, we were so close. We just needed to be a little bit closer. And that's what Jesus was going to do for us. But he came and he destroyed all the work we've been doing. <laughs> he, he, he destroyed all of the good things, the good deeds, because he came and he showed us that we were all sinners a whole lot worse than we thought we were. Rather than the righteous people we thought we were. Is that the truth? Is that what happens? That when Jesus comes, he just brings all the sin, he just serves it up? Paul says, Of course not. Certainly not. What a ridiculous thought. Of course, that's not the case. But because of this possibly unspoken argument against the gospel, they thought, Well, it would be good to go back to obeying the works of the law. Trying to, trying to work ourselves into justification. Because when we did that, when we were doing that, we felt pretty good about ourselves. You know, the, these are the laws that we're going to follow. These are the rules that we know. We're going to work really hard, and we're going to achieve these rules, and we're going to feel good about ourselves. And Jesus comes in, and he starts talking about sin, and we're sinful, and we can't justify ourselves. Why wasn't that a good idea? He's, Paul says in verse 18, because if I rebuild what I tore down... I prove myself to be a transgressor. See, it's not that Christ came in and made us all sinners. <laughs> it's not that he came and messed up everything that was good that we were doing. He showed us the truth that we were far, far away from being justified ourselves. As we try to build up our works to try to please God, as we try to obey as many rules as we can think of because it makes us feel like we're doing better, it makes us feel closer to God, what we're actually doing is building a wall that prevents us from accessing God's faith and our justification. Remember, there's only one way to be justified. It's not through our works. It's through justification. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. So as we build up a wall of good works and we're, we're setting up all these bricks and we can name all the good things that we do and, you know, here's my brick. I go to church on most Sundays and here's my brick. I pray and, you know, I give to the, in the offering and, and I teach over here and I go over there and I do all of these things and we can just give anybody that asks the list of all the rules we follow and all the good things we do. We're not getting closer to Jesus in those things. We're really building a tower of Babel ourselves. We think we're good, but we're really rebelling and we're building walls around ourselves to prevent the faith that would allow us to be justified because we're trying to do it ourselves instead of through faith. 
We're trying to replace faith with works. And no matter how close we think that it makes us, it only takes us further away from faith and therefore justification. So Jesus comes and he shows us the truth. Our works are destroyed before him. Again, as we've said, even our good things, our righteousnesses are as polluted garments. I mean, if the best thing that I can do is a polluted garment, a filthy rag, as other translations say, what good are my works? If that's the best that I can do, what good are my works compared to the perfect works, the perfect righteousness of Jesus? Do, do I really think that I could do something better than Jesus did? That I, that I could build up more righteousness and do better works than Jesus did? Could I really finish up <laughs> anything that he left over? Of course not. See, it wasn't when I was building my little wall of good works and following all of my rules that I was doing better. I was actually doing worse. And verse 18 says, when I go back to doing that, I'm still not doing better. When I come up with more rules and more good deeds that I should do and that I can do, I'm not doing better. I'm doing even worse. I'm rebuilding what I tore down. When I do that, I prove myself to be a transgressor. See, it's not that Jesus comes in and makes us all sinners. (laughs) We do that ourselves. I see sin more in myself when Jesus is here, but it's not because he brought it. It's because it was always there. I just couldn't see it until he revealed it. That's why I love that line in, in Amazing Grace. It was grace that taught my heart to fear, right? First, I needed to fear. I needed to see where I was and how I needed God's grace before I could see that God's grace was so good and that I was in so much need. It was grace that taught my heart to fear and then grace my fears relieved. So when I go back to working, Jesus exposes that as a sin. Again, not because he's bringing it, because, but because I am. And I prove myself to be a transgressor when I go back to trying to build up a wall of good works. Righteousness on my own. The word prove there, it's the same word used in Romans 5.8 where God proved his love. He demonstrated his love for us. In that when we were still sinners, he, Christ died for us. That same word demonstrated is the word proved here. We prove that we have no part in that. We exclude ourselves from God's righteousness, from Christ's sacrifice, God's love, because we try to do it ourselves with our own works, our own obedience. Because faith and works do not work together to bring us salvation. They're not partners, they're enemies. (laughs) They fight against each other. So it's either works or faith that bring us salvation, and it's not both. And we know it's not works because it's been plainly stated over and over again. That means that there's only one option left. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things that we like to do, not, not because it makes us feel better, but because we need to see how we can make some of these same mistakes, how we can fall into the same wrong ways of thinking. We, what we like to do, what we need to do, is see how we can make some of these same mistakes, how we can logically fall into the same errors. We can make ourselves even transgressors or prove ourselves transgressors with some wrong thoughts, some wrong deeds. So how, how can we fall into these things? How, how does, what does it look like in our lives? Well, of course, we can, we can fall into these same lies, the same sin by trying to make the Christian life all about following rules, the works of the law. And we've seen many different ways we, we can do that, and we'll talk more about that later, Lord willing, next week. But we can fall into the same errors and, and wrong ways of thinking and sin when we think we're better than other sinners, 
right? You know, I would never do that. Well, God, you know, at least I didn't say that or, or, or do that. Thank you, God, that I'm not like this sinner over here. But here's another way that we may not have considered. We can replace the gospel, and we can accuse Jesus of being the servant of sin, a promoter of sin, when we try to eliminate all of that negative stuff. You know, we don't want to talk about all the sin and judgment of wrath. You know, when Jesus comes into our church service, that's a good thing. And, and when he comes into our prayers and our church and our music, and, you know, he comes in and he brings all positive stuff. And so when we talk about Jesus, it needs to be encouraging and, and positive. Don't talk about anything negative. He's not a servant of sin. You know, I mean, he doesn't, you don't want to talk about all that negative stuff. Talk about joy and power and giftings, right? Talk about winning and success and victory. Talk about those things that people want to hear about. Don't make him a servant of sin by talking about sin and God's wrath or judgment. See, we, we can make the same accusation against Jesus and his gospel. Oh, you're just making Jesus a servant of sin. When we, when we refuse to talk about any of the sin things that we need to talk about, we need to know about. The sin that, that's, that's in the world, the sin that's in us. The sin that is in ourselves. The gospel is very positive. It is very encouraging. It's very uplifting. But it is so because it's set against the reality of the negativity of sin and God's wrath and the judgment that's coming because of our sin. You see, when your electricity goes out during a storm and you're in a room and all the lights go out, it's dark. When the electricity comes back on and the lights come on and someone comes running into the room and says, I've got good news. The electricity's back. (laughs) <laughs> what do you say? I know, <laughs> right? I, I, I already know that. I've got the lights. The lights are on in here. I don't need that good news. I've already got it figured out myself. If you don't need the good news or you don't think you need the gospel, the good news, then it's not good news. It's old news, right? If I think, well, I've just, I live so righteously. I'm so good in my righteousness. I follow so many rules. I'm so disciplined in my life. I've already got the good news. You don't need to tell me any of that stuff. I'm already good with God, right? I'm already right with God. Or if I am only thinking about, I'm, all, I'm already victorious and God loves me and he has a wonderful plan for my life and everything's just going to be roses because God loves me and everything's going to be great. If you come with the good news, I don't need that. I've already got my own good news. I've got to figure it out myself. See, it's when we don't need, we, we think we don't need to talk about sin. We don't need to hear about sin. We're removing the main reason that Jesus came to this earth. He said in Luke 5, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We can't only ever talk about the good stuff. That's why we can't soften it and make it more palatable and more acceptable. That's why even this morning we we sang about how we are sinners without Christ. (laughs) That that we were lost in our sin and that, that it was a bad place to be. We've got to hear the bad news. People need to hear the bad news first, that they're sinners, that we're sinners before a holy God. That's why Paul explained, as he did in Acts 20 to the Ephesian elders, he says, you all know, you you were there in my ministry, you heard, you saw how he was serving the Lord with all humility and tears and trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. He said, how I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. Everywhere he went, he was talking about repentance and faith. He wasn't telling them, look, if you turn to Jesus, here's the list of benefits. Here's all the good, positive, and encouraging things. 
He says, here's all the bad that you need to know and accept and believe so that you can then hear the grace of God in Jesus Christ. He, says, he goes on, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. You know, not just the parts you wanted to hear about. Not just the parts that were uh, encouraging to you or, or that you wanted to know about. He warns them that people were going to come and speak twisted things to draw people after them. He says, again, for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. See, the, the gospel that we're given, the, the gospel that saves us, the gospel that we're supposed to bring to other people is the gospel. It's, it is good news because of the existing reality of our bad news, our sinfulness. We have to tell people that. We've got to be faithful with the whole counsel of God, all of what it says, so that we can realize that our good works won't work. We have to turn to Him in faith. Our greatest need in the church is not to hear about the six steps to financial freedom <laughs> or, or the, you know, how to end poverty in the world and, or how to be happier or how to be better than we were already. Our greatest need is Jesus Christ because we're sinners who stand condemned before God. And it's the worst news that we can give anybody. <laughs> it's the most negative, horrible, downer kind of news that we can give, but it's the truth because the best news that we can give is the grace of God that's available in Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins, to declare us righteous so that we can be with Him forever. And by the way, that's why you won't hear me say to people, you won't hear me say from up here that sin and, and death to the sinner brings separation from God. You won't hear me say that to people it means hell. It means the place of judgment or eternal punishment. I won't use that phrase, separation of God. Now, we need to understand that our sin separates us from God, from the fellowship, the relationship with God. He, it separates us from the blessing of His presence, right? Psalm 1611 says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. To be out of God's presence in that sense means to be away from His blessings, the joy of being in the presence of God. And that's what 2 Thessalonians 1.9 refers to. And Paul says, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. We're removed. I mean, that's what sin does to us. It removes us from the personal presence and, and blessing and joy of God's presence. God's face turned to us for our good. The word translated away from actually can mean originating from, as in the suffering and eternal destruction that comes from his presence. But that's a, that's a different view that, that may not be accurate. The, the majority is that, um, that this means away from his presence. But the word for presence here is the word for his pres personal presence, his blessing and his joy that comes from being in his presence. But it doesn't mean... <laughs> It doesn't mean that when a sinner dies, they become separated from God as if there's somewhere they can go where God isn't. Sin in our life brings God's wrath forever. Not, not a physical separation because God is there. Jesus is there in that place called hell. Say, how, how could that possibly be? Well, we know that there's nowhere that God isn't, right? Can a place even exist where God doesn't exist? No, such, such a, if God isn't there, there doesn't exist. And the question that you're asking is probably like, is this found somewhere in Scripture? And that's the right question. In Revelation 14, 
Verse 9, another angel, a third one follows two other angels, and this angel pronounces over the world, and he follows with a saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. That's Jesus. The Lamb of God, Jesus, who is there in the presence of these people who are suffering in this place. He says, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, whoever receives the mark of its name. Now, that's a different word for presence than the one used in 2 Thessalonians 1. Instead of referring to his personal presence, his face turned toward us for good and, and for blessing, this is simply his being within the, the realm of his presence, just, just him being physically there. Because people in hell will still continue to exist within the sphere of God's existence. This is what's so terrifying about it. This is what's so awful about it, being in the holy presence of God without, without any covering for our sin. Being exposed to that. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 10 that his, his father, God, you need to fear him because he's the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This place that we're talking about is that place called hell, and that's where people will suffer forever in the presence of the Lamb, the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And see, that's so hard to hear. That's so, it's so hard to talk about. It's so hard to think about. It's unfathomable. What kind of terror, what kind of pain, what kind of off, awful existence forever? But that's the truth. It's the part of the truth that we need to hear and others need to hear. So we need to be careful about what we tell people. You know, if you want to say that it's separation from God, like it says in 2 Thessalonians 1, that's good, that's scripture, but explain what that means. That's not, you know, for people that try to live their life without God, to hear that they're going to live eternity without God is not a punishment, right? It's not something to be afraid of. It's something they want, but it's not even possible. We've got to give people the whole truth, and we've got to give it to them lovingly. We can't just go around hammering people over the heads with, with this truth. But when we tell people this whole truth, the, the, here's the accusation they may bring. Oh, Jesus, he's just a servant of sin. All you guys ever talk about is sin and wrath and judgment. Your gospel, it's just all about that bad stuff. It's hellfire and brimstone. You know, you crazy Christians. It's too negative. The world wants positive. It's not that Jesus brings all of this sin. It's not that Jesus is the servant of sin, serving this all up and promoting it. It's we who sin. Jesus reveals it to us ahead of the judgment. Because at the judgment, it's too late, isn't it? He reveals it to us now so that we can respond in repentance and faith. So that we can receive his grace. We can be justified. We need that truth about sin and guilt and condemnation so we can hear the truth about salvation about God's grace, his mercy. We go back to covering our ears from all of that negative stuff, and we go back to trying to rebuild that place of comfort for ourselves. That, that's our imaginary little world where there's no sin and there's no wrath, and that's where we prove ourselves to be transgressors. How do we do that? Because we've not believed and loved the truth. We've understood it, but we've not believed it. We've rejected it with something that we like a little bit better just the good things. It's transgression. It's unrighteousness. And here are the warning of 2 Thessalonians 2. 
Satan is going to work through the man of lawlessness during the last days, and he's going to be deceiving with false signs and wonders. He says, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. We don't, we don't want to be in, those, in that number of those who refuse to believe and, and love the truth to be saved. And he says, therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth and had pleasure in unrighteousness. It's a strong, it's a stark warning for us to make sure that we don't just try to bury our heads in the sand or or push up our head into the clouds and, and only the good and only the positive and only the happy, the power and the victoriousness and the all of the good. The good that we have in the gospel is so much better than what we can invent if we try to take away all of the bad. So rebuilding what gets torn down in the gospel, verse 18, is our works, whether the works that we do to try to earn God's grace or try to be better people so that we can go to heaven or, or when we suppress the truth about God and sin and judgment and then the grace that comes because of that reality in Jesus Christ. We can go right back into wrong thinking, the wrong belief in a wrong, false gospel by taking away part of the truth of the gospel. It's called suppressing the truth in our unrighteousness. And see Romans 1 for that danger. You know, if we take away sin, if we take away hell, eternal judgment, God's wrath, what are we saved from? You know, I mean, if we take away all of that horrible stuff, God's grace is just a little bit less wonderful. You know, God saves me from feeling bad about myself or feeling sorry for myself. <laughs> God just saves me from... You know, being short this month in my finances or whatever else we can add in there. Those are good things that God does for us. But the greatest thing that he has done for us is remove his wrath from us so that we can be in his presence in grace and for good. Don't rebuild what's torn down in the gospel. Don't, don't put together our works that we trust in in our faith sometimes wrongly instead of in Jesus. The word here for tore down means not just take apart the, the Lego blocks wall. It's, to, it, it's like a piece of glass that we shatter, <laughs> never to be put back together again. Destroy, tore down, tear down our works, the works that we do. Hear and believe the gospel and continue in this gospel. And we'll be looking at what that looks like in our lives in the following verses. But share this gospel. Tell others, are they all going to love you for it? No. Are they going to accuse you of just being a hateful person, a bigoted person, one that always just talks about sin and wrath and judgment? Yeah, you'll be accused of all of those things by many people, but some, some will see the grace of God and the truth of the gospel that you're sharing with them and that you're living out for them to see and for God's glory, and Jesus Christ will be glorified. That's what we're after. Father God, we pray that that would be true in our lives, Lord, that we would, we would not dwell in things that are <laughs> depressing or negative, Lord. We'd not dwell there, but we would, we would remember, God. We would think back and know because sin still dwells in our flesh, Lord. We still mess up. We still don't live perfectly as you deserve, as you call us to. Lord, you enable us to see that we have sinned and that we deserve for you to be wrathful and angry against us. But God, you love us, and you showed us, you proved that love in Jesus. Because when we were unable to help ourselves or save ourselves, Christ died for us. Oh God, what a, what a, what a truth this is. 
Uh, what amazing grace you have given to us in Jesus Christ to be saved from sin that causes death. Death physically and death forever. God, it can be overcome because Jesus has already overcome it. He overcame death when he rose again. He overcame sin, Lord, when he paid the penalty for it. He died because of it, but then he rose again. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the truth. Lord, we pray as we go about this week, Lord, and as we still mess up and as we still sin, as we see sin growing more bold all around us in this world, Father, that we would bring boldly the gospel, the grace of our great God in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us not to just learn these things and know these things, but that we would believe them. Lord, that this would change our minds and our hearts and our thinking and our words and our actions. And God, everything about us that would, that would bring glory to you, Lord, that it would encourage one another, Father, that other believers would see and grow and learn. God, it's such a privilege and a blessing to be under your grace. Lord, help us not shy back from your truth. Help us not try to live in a way that would earn our justification, to earn our salvation, but God, help us to work in this faith in a way that would glorify you. Help us to understand the difference. And Lord, um, we praise you. Lord, we worship you. We exalt you because of who you are, because of who our Savior is, because of what he's done for us. What a great God. What a great gospel. We praise you in Jesus' name.